0: Thank you. to another episode of the Eagles water cooler podcast. I'm joined tonight by Mike and Andrew, and we are going to discuss the Eagles loss to the Los Angeles Rams 37 to 19, the Eagles falling to 0 and two. Ugh, just rough. That's, that's the only description I can give for Sunday's game. Not fun at all, just a rough experience. So I'm going to throw it to both of you first to just react overall to not so much the state of things in general but we will get to that more so this game and the feeling of watching this game on Sunday and seeing and not seeing what the Eagles are doing out there Andrew
1: yeah another uh another crappy week here um I'm flummoxed I don't know how else to describe it I'm flummoxed uh I'm confused as to why Carson seemingly regressed now. Um, I I don't understand why we brought in these um, secondary pieces, yet we're getting torched for, you know, 300 plus yards passing a game. Um, It's frustrating. Um, You know, I think on Sunday, uh, the the Rams had a good game plan. I think golf played well, um, so you can give them credit there. But uh, besides a little bit of momentum uh, for, you know, a couple minutes where it seemed like we were we were actually going to compete this game. You know, it was just another, uh, another game of underperforming um, across the board, maybe except for the offensive line, I'll, you know, and we'll get into them later, I'm sure. But just uh, it's getting disheartening. And I know it's early and, you know, shouldn't think that the world is crashing down, but we're Eagles fans, so we have to react like this. Mike, how are you feeling after uh, that loss to the Rams?
2: Yeah, it was, a, it was a tough game. We wanted a bounce-back game after a really poor, slow second half against the Redskins. Um, you know, we start out with the football. Great to see Sanders back in there. Uh, that fumble, big momentum swinger uh, right at the beginning of the game, you know, that, that was kind of tough. And the Rams capitalized. Turnovers. We, we can't allow these turnovers to keep happening. Um, on offense. And the game from there, just seemed to get wildly out of control. Um, Defense was incapable of stopping the Rams. The Rams basically had free will to do whatever they want. There was mass confusion. It seemed like, um, I, I saw an Eagles player said they didn't do anything they didn't expect, but they couldn't stop them. Like if, if it was what they were seeing, they didn't have a strategy to stop it from happening. um, and then just a, a lot of key big uh, momentum swings. Uh, Wentz, you know, I didn't think Doug needed to go for it on a two-point conversion early in that game. Just just kick the field goal. Make it 21-10. Don't lose the momentum you have there. Um, you know, I thought, I thought the defense finally stepped up. They started making some, some stops. Uh, huge punt fumble recovery. Um, momentum swinger. Carson, don't force the ball down the field on, on first, and, first and 10. Um, interception to Whiteside is massively dis- disappointing. And we just couldn't recover from there. Um, yeah, a lot going on. I think blame is going all around. Um, and I guess the question is, can they right the ship? Um, are these things fixable? Chris, let's send it back to you. Yeah, I I
0: appreciate all your guys' comments. I really think the the word disheartened stuck out to me. I like Andrew's word flummox because I think it's underutilized as a word in general, but it's also accurate for what's going on right now. Last week against, um, I guess now it would be two weeks ago, against Washington was embarrassing. This was more disheartening, kind of in the way of, um, I don't know, just a sort of dishonesty where it's like that's who you guys are. That's the sort of team that the Eagles are, at least in this game. Uh, Against the Rams. It just felt um, like a little bit of an identity crisis where we are expecting the Eagles to bounce back, have one of those games where, hey, they really dropped an embarrassing loss in week one, but they come back and they remind us who they are in week two. And uh, things got worse, really, in a lot of ways. And we're going to cover that tonight. Um, But I want to start by touching on some things that I did find encouraging. Um, And there may not be a ton of them but i'm going to try to hit on them because i think the meat of our podcast tonight is going to be about things that we found discouraging both in this game and potentially moving forward does that work for you guys
1: yeah you can start with the good news chris a lot of All right. news,
0: so. well let's start with let's start with what what uh, was probably the biggest worry in the eagle in the mind of an eagles fan over the course of last week which was that aaron donald was going to come in here and, and really wreck the Eagles' offensive line, which was awful the week prior. Oh, and we're being joined by Stat Matt dropping in. Um, but the O-line in this game held up. Um, they held Aaron Donald. I misspoke on our last podcast and said that he had had uh, four tackles and one sack against the Eagles. He's never registered a sack against the Eagles. Actually heard that he's registered, registered a sack against every other NFL team uh, except for the Eagles. I'm not sure if that one is true. We might have to flip to stat Matt for that once he's ready to go. But it was nice to see the O-line hold up the way that they did. Uh, Lane Johnson making his return and obviously playing well, let up no pressures, had a really, really high rating um, per PFF. But in addition to that, Isaac Salmallo gets hurt, uh, I believe it was in the second half, and is replaced by Matt Pryor. And it seemed pretty seamless from an offensive line perspective. Carson Wentz was kept clean. Uh, So I think we can we can take that as an encouraging sign uh, in a week that had a lot of discouraging things going on. Stat Matt how are you?
3: Good happy to join.
0: Yes sir we were just talking about the few encouraging factors from this past Sunday's loss to the Rams and one of them being that the O-line held up uh, with Lane Johnson in the lineup and with Sam Mala going down and Matt Pryor checking in in his place, holding Aaron Donald to zero sacks and keeping Carson Wentz clean. So I think that's something I'm just going to kind of touch on. I don't think there's too much to say there other than we hope that Pryor can maintain the way that he did before and there's some continuity with him and Peters. Uh, Andrew, do you have a point on the O line?
1: Yeah, I just want to give Nate Herbig some props too. I think him and Lane on the the right side played tremendous, um, both in pass coverage but also some dominating. Run blocks. Uh, there was one play um, where Lane had the guy first and then passed it over to Herbig almost in one fell swoop. So um, I, think, I think Herbig was also highly rated uh, by PFF. Um, so just that was a great positive. Um, and then also Jason Peters, I didn't hear his name called. So I don't think he had those, you know, those offside, uh, or I'm sorry, false star penalties like we're used to. Um, so kind of got to give him some credit as well.
0: That's a good point, Andrew. He did have a shaky week one, and, and I think it's important to give Nate her big props because uh, there was talk even on this last podcast of if he would stay in the right guard position after game one, and I think having Lane next to him, you could see them working in tandem. If I'm not mistaken, even the broadcasters made a comment that the Eagles have really found something that works in this sort of twosome on the right side. Uh, Matty, what do you got on the O-line?
3: Yeah, Chris, want to piggyback off uh, Matt Pryor's play. Uh, this guy had an awful camp, absolutely awful camp. Uh, Dropped in the depth chart, and, you know, they called on him. And, yeah, I think he did step up, uh, especially against Aaron Donald, as you mentioned, uh, zero sacks for him. Um, Guys, Matt Pryor is 6'7", 338. He's a big body. So, if he can continue to play and be consistent on the offensive line, we may be okay. Chris?
0: Yeah, and if there aren't more comments about the offensive line, I want to kind of move on uh, to talk about some other encouraging factors. And I think one of them in this game uh, was the run game and really seeing the tandem of Miles Sanders and Boston Scott working together. They did not have one negative run play. Uh, Miles was two, I'm sorry, 20 carries for 95 rushing and three for 36 receiving. Boston was four for 19 rushing and three for 24 receiving, Uh, just a really nice stand. there was a middle point in the game there, I think when the Eagles still had a shot, uh, where you could see the benefit of Carson, you know, making a short pass, then switching to the run game and the defense having to adjust to that threat. I will say, I was upset with Miles Sanders. I understand he's coming in cold, but that situation on the first drive that I have to tell you took me right back to last year and Dallas got it fumbling, exact same situation. Exact same situation also where I'm looking at the TV going, the Eagles are receiving. Okay. So then they get it. They start the drive and I'm going, all right, maybe this works out. Maybe they get an early score and it works out instead to be a turnover that gives the other team a very short field to, to take an early lead. So, to me, that was inexcusable, but Miles did make up for it uh, in more ways than one. So we just have to hope that that's sort of a seldom happening for him. And I think totally he's only had three fumbles in his career. So we have to hope that that's just kind of jitters coming back and, and taking that first hit. But thoughts on the run game, Mike?
2: Yeah, and um, I think it's also worth giving um, some credit to Doug sticking with the run. He tends to, uh, especially after a fumble like that, could have been easy for him to get pass pass happy. Um, but I thought he was committed to the run, which overall is something we always kind of harp about. There needs to be, you know, more balanced of an attack. And he was doing that. The offensive line playing better definitely helped, I'm sure, in that um, supporting that play calling. But keep that up, Doug. Andrew, you got any thoughts on that?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think we love when uh, seeing 20 carries. I think that's a great number um, for miles. Um, but as Chris mentioned, I think that four point eight yards per rush is awesome. The no negative rush uh, yards is is a positive. So look, he, he he was our dynamic, most dynamic offensive player going into the season, and uh, he's showing it, so let's let's keep feeding him the rock.
3: Yeah, great game. Great game out of Miles. Uh, I also had a a couple catches out of the backfield, which was nice. Get him into the flat. Uh, I I thought he ran well. Um, I may be nitpicking here, but what I noticed in Miles yesterday was he is making, I think one too many jukes prior to the hole. I'm not sure if you guys saw that, but you know, he, he's young, he's athletic, he can get away with that, but uh, on a, a good defensive line, good secondary, that's uh, going to be tough. He, he's got to hit the hole a little harder, but, I mean, come on, it, that's nitpicking, you can't complain about his performance. Chris?
0: I will say, I think on the two-point conversion, that was a perfect example of that. He clearly was trying to scamper and do the shady thing, which, you know, that, that's really specific to LeSean McCoy and his skill set, and even at a point, he could no longer do that. Um, because teams figured it out so you know when when Miles scored his touchdown he did the opposite he just sort of track you know took off like he was on a track um you know running a relay or something like that and just came right up the middle behind the line right into the huge hole huge and yeah and he just he just ran right through it um and I, I agree with Matt I'm seeing some of that hesitation I'm also hoping along with the fumbles that that's something that he's able to shake and I did see other examples in the game where he did just hit the hole and run hard um I didn't feel like I saw him run as fast as I saw him run last year. I have to hope that he's still easing back from the hamstring. But one thing I'll say is that I was really disappointed in Carson Wentz for a number of reasons. But one in particular was I rarely see him lead a receiver into a catch. And Miles, when he runs those wheels, that's one of the few times that you see that they have that play You know, seemingly down, especially on um, I guess it would be the left side of the field. But Let's
2: Chris. move on. I'll yeah, let go ahead. Jump in there too to piggyback on that. Carson threw the ball up. We could have lost Goddard for the season over that high ball over the middle. Goddard jumped up high. That's a dangerous little play there. He's got to watch out for that. But uh, yeah, I'm sure we're gonna get some inaccuracy on Carson, but that, that stuck out.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely talk about Carson's inaccuracy, and and that's a good segue because he also almost got Jalen Rager, the Eagles' uh, first round. A wide receiver draft pick, um, almost got him killed uh, on one play in the red zone where Brigger was not able to come down with the ball. But I'm bringing out Brigger uh, because he's an encouraging factor to me. He was four for 41 on the day. He absolutely got rocked on that play and came back. Uh, he's clearly a tough kid. He comes to play. He's a presence on the field. I notice him when he's on the field sometimes because his number looks like Deshaun's number, and other times just because he he's a little bit bigger. Once I see that. Uh, Player on the field, I noticed that he's like a little bit more rocked up, and I think I'm hoping that Doug will play to his strength as a way to to kind of diversify the routes that he's running. But I'm seeing good things from Rager early here, not just the toughness, you know, early production. It wasn't a a highlight reel game, but he was still there. He made the plays when he needed to, that weren't uh, hospital balls, like Mike referred to. But baby steps, you know, he's part of the game plan. I'm seeing him implemented. And it's an encouraging sign. So I'm not sure if anyone has anything to say on Rager. I I think he had sort of a mild game, but it was still him putting up some production and being another one of those targets. My next point was to say that when the Eagles offense really looked best to me is when they were running tempo, uh, implementing the run game, like splicing it in, throwing to the tight ends and throwing to Jalen Rager. Those, those, that combination of plays uh, seemed to really work for them when they were playing at their best. Um, So I, you know, Maybe that changes week to week. Obviously, game planning is what it is. But I think those are going to be the features of this offense. And we saw the run game working. Uh, the tight end play, I think, was, you know, just, just okay. And some of that was, was Carson's inaccuracy, which we'll touch on. Uh, but I do think Rager can be a, a weapon for the offense. Let's talk about the other Jalen for a second. Jalen Hurts, who made his first appearance in this game as the quarterback, too. <clears throat> Thoughts on the use of Jalen Hurts in
3: this game, Matt? Insignificant. Didn't didn't make a difference having him in or having him out. Uh, They brought him in for a little razzle-dazzle. That's about it, Chris. And what it went for, I think, a five-yard pass, like a tight end pop pass. Uh, That's the only thing I can recall of him being in the game. He was insignificant. Andrew?
1: I would say it was uh, less razzle-dazzle and more just general decoy. But hey, I actually loved it. Get him in there. You know, it's a small baby step. Um, obviously, <laughs> it's still not justifying the second round pick. I don't know if it ever will. So uh, let's let's not look at that. Let's look at he was inactive for week one. He's active and gets on the field week two. You know what what's in store for week three? Hopefully, more more plays with him involved.
2: Michael. Um, I think Andrew hit it I think he was just (laughs) in there to be a decoy (laughs) Um, and you know I I guess that that served its purpose good to get him in the mix the first time Hurt stepped on the
0: field on Sunday I saw Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald point to him so to me he caused immediate recognition on the part of the defense at a point where the Eagles offense was really stale I hope to see more of it. I want to see more Jalen Hurts uh, on the field at the same time as Carson Wentz, because I think at this point they need some wrinkles that are going to throw the defenses off. And between the balance of Carson's stuff, him being in his own bag, all that sort of thing, and Doug's play call, uh, they need something to, to spice up this offense a little bit. And I think if it's Rager being in there, I'm sorry, if it's Jalen Hurts being in there, the two Jalen's, uh, Jalen Hurts being in there as a as a receiver as a, as a potential running threat it's going to make defenses think twice even if he winds up only being a decoy and I, I do think that's what he was on sunday but i do think the defense recognized it, and i believe the eagle scored on that play if i'm not mistaken i think one of them came when when they uh they had hurts on the field strictly as a decoy and miles ran it in if i'm not mistaken but i might be off on that either way i put it in the encouraging category because i feel it is an encouraging factor I don't think that the the draft pick is a conversation we can really have, but if they spent the draft pick, I do wanna see him. Um, And I do wanna see him hopefully threaten defenses. And it seemed like on Sunday, the two best players on the Rams defense, maybe two of the best in the league at their position, recognized that he was on the field and adjusted the defense accordingly. Um, I wanna see some more of it. Let's get to the discouraging factors. I'm gonna start with our boy 11. Okay, beginning of the third quarter, the Eagles are down 21-16. Defense just forced a tough three and out coming out of halftime. And Wentz throws what I consider to be the death strike of the game. Um, throws a first down interception. This is what gets me really mad. If you watch the play, there's no way J.J. Ortega-Whiteside was even an option on that, on that play. And when you watch him run into the end zone, you can see Wentz go through his progression and just try to make a play outside of design, which we've seen him do successfully many times. But the window and the receiver were just not a fit. It just did not make sense at that point in the game when the Eagles could have taken a lead and really stopped the Rams in their tracks and halted their momentum, taking a lead at that moment through running the ball to miles, through some short passes to Goddard, let him run, any of those options would have been better than trying to force that pass, like Mike said earlier. And that's probably my biggest beef with Wentz is at that moment, he basically decided the game. And he didn't know it at the time. And I think we knew it watching it, that that was a pivotal moment, but he had the momentum of his team charging on a comeback drive, which was really nicely put together, probably one of the brighter spots in the Eagles' day, capped off by him throwing an interception. And it was a great pick by the DB, whose name I don't know. Um, but at the same time, it's a, it's a throw that Carson Wentz never should have made. It's first down. If JJ's being doubled somewhere in there as an open player, how does Carson not have his finger on the pulse of this moment? That's my biggest beef, Andrew.
1: I'll say one positive or one counter to that before um, getting into Carson. Uh, Brian Baldinger actually broke down that play and showed an angle from behind Carson and a little zoomed out. He actually had J.J. The safety hadn't come over yet, and J.J. had beaten his corner on the slant. Wentz was late, a second late with the throw, and threw it behind him. So while it did feel like a force and probably still was at the end of the day, there was a moment there that he was open, and Carson was just too late. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it was as egregious as it appeared. It certainly was egregious in the way that it killed our momentum. Um,
0: and, yeah, uh, and I appreciate also- that coming. I appreciate that coming from Bobby, who I know watches tons and tons of tape. It's more so the time and place that it happened uh, yeah. more than anything yeah. else. And and I. I recognize also, like I said, the DD also just made a great read on that. It seemed like he was following Carson's eyes the whole time. Um, Mike or Matt, any comments on that particular play? Mike, I know you already touched on it, but anything you want to kind of build on from that? I mean, that was my most frustrated moment with Wentz in the game.
2: Um, Definitely a really frustrating moment. It doesn't make sense at that point point in the game to go to JJ. But I do agree with Andrew and uh, Baldinger's assessment. I thought on the replay, it did look like there was a window where he was open. Carson and Doug keeps bringing this up. Carson has a tendency to try to do too much, and if you look at that throw, he really tried to put some heat on it, thinking he could muscle it in to JJ. And I think that's just the telltale sign. Carson's pressing; he's trying to do a little too much that the team isn't asking him to do, actually. So that you know, that's kind of on Carson. Huge. Momentum swing in the game. Um, at that point, I think it was um, 21. Was it 21-16 on that drive? I believe it was 21-16. We're driving down the field. Um, Deshaun Jackson finally is getting into the game. He made some huge third-down conversions on that drive um, to really extend and save that drive, um, which I thought was great because we need him to get involved. And that that force into to JJ was probably the biggest um, biggest play in the game. In retrospect, Maddie.
3: Yeah, Chris, that was a uh, crucial play. I I just want to bring up the series before that. I had marked this down. Uh, Wentz airs it out to Ertz into the second quarter uh, on a third down play. I've watched this play. Five or six times, and he had a beautiful pocket. There was no one after him. He missed the throw. Uh, it's as simple as that. It was a good read. Ertz had him beat, and he missed the throw. He comes back in the third quarter of the second half, and he throws that interception. Uh, it's concerning, guys. It really is. Uh, I'm I'm a little concerned. I just have some stats here, and I'll pass it off to Andrew. Um, total plays, Ram, sixty-seven. Eagles 69, uh, third down efficiency, both seven for 12, uh, fumbles lost one for one. Uh, it, it was a very e- uh, even game, but the stat that sticks out is interceptions, Rams zero, Eagles two. Andrew?
1: Yeah, it's a good segue. I wanted to get into some additional stats um, specifically about Carson. Um, and these are, these are just brutal. So 64 points for quarterback rating, second to last in the league. He's got four interceptions tied for the most. Uh, six yards per pass, that's bottom five. Uh, 58% completion percentage, uh, 29th overall. 4.4 air yards per attempt, bottom. I mean, what else do we have here? 20 off-target throws this season, most by far in the league. He is underperforming on a level that, you know, for a five-year player, with, uh, and granted, the injuries are, you know, you can say they're a factor, but this regression is is tough to watch. And, frankly, it's a little unacceptable right now for someone that just got paid and is supposed to be the franchise quarterback. It is It is – that play was frustrating. His play this season is devastating. Chris.
0: Yeah, and unacceptable is the word that Doug used when he was asked again about it, about the throw. He said it's absolutely unacceptable. You know what, Carson, like you want to you want to throw passes like that, uh, you better be accurate. And you haven't been accurate. So what makes you think you can wedge a ball in that way? We saw Carson last year throw a beautiful pass to Miles Sanders in the back of the end zone that very few quarterbacks can throw. We haven't seen Carson be accurate this year. You want to make plays outside of design. You want to think for yourself and and go off of the play. You better be deadly accurate. And he's been far from that this year. His inaccuracy I think has been one of the things that cost cost the Eagles both of these wins. There's been multiple times where the Eagles have some momentum and Carson just sails the ball. Uh, As somebody said in one of our other podcasts, McNabb used to worm burn and Carson just throws it over people's heads. It's, It's such a momentum killer. And a lot of times, like Matt said, uh, in this past game, not so much in the Washington game, but in this past game, Carson had a clean pocket. He had opportunities to hit people and just didn't. Mike, I think you had a point. And then we'll go to Andrew. Go ahead, Mike. Um,
2: yeah, I... let's, let's feel free to stay on Wentz for a second. But at the same time, you know, Wentz is in his fourth year now. He's in his fifth year. Doug's in his fifth as well or Doug's also in his fit. As much as we're going to lay it on Carson, this has to also come back on Doug. Um, He's the one that's working with this guy, developing this guy. And his press conference answer about Carson's play. um, I think he said back to the reporter, you know, that's a good question. Why, why he's regressing. And my thought on that was Doug, you need to have an, an a better answer for that. You're his coach. Um, you know, this falls on you too. So I guess we can we can keep talking about uh Wentz, but maybe maybe we mix the dug into this. Um Andrew, let's go to you first and then Matt.
1: Yeah, let me let me just close out the one uh stat I had on, on Carson when I said he had 20 off target throws. Fifteen of those off-target throws were uh were in um, what were considered clean pockets, right? So protection was good. He had time to throw, and he just missed it. So, um, yeah, let's let's move on to Doug, unless anybody else wants to jump in there with, with Carson.
3: Yeah, just last point, Andrew. Uh, the guy was sacked eight times last week. He's sacked zero times this week, and we see a s- uh, similar performance. Uh, but moving on to Doug, I, come on, we, we got to talk about the two-point conversion. Uh, that just did not make sense. Can someone please try to explain it to me? Because I'm still scratching my head as to why in that situation uh, you go for two. Anyone? Not unlike the
0: Carson thing. I'm just going to say not unlike the Carson thing. Again, time and place. There's a time in that game you're going to have to go for a two-point conversion playing from behind. But I, I really feel as though he did not have his finger on the pulse of the moment to say this is not the time to do it. Um, There was also another play later where there was a flag and they could have accepted the penalty and had a fourth and three in the red zone and instead he kicked the field goal. So there's a couple of things that were questionable about Doug in this game. I don't heap as much on him in this game as I did uh, the Washington game personally, Uh, but but those two moments I thought were absolutely critical in terms of decision-making, which (laughs) for both Doug and Carson right now seems fundamentally flawed. Mike, I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, no, the two-point conversion makes – Absolutely no sense at that point in the game. Um, you know, we needed we needed to turn the momentum around, and, and we just finally looked like we could do something on offense. The concept of going for two there—it's um, such a gamble, and, and Doug is risky. So, like, I kind of take it with a grain of salt. But it, to me, missing out there now means every other time we score throughout the game, we're playing makeup on points and that doesn't seem like a good strategy when we were just struggling you know to get something going and I don't I don't yeah that was a big mess up on Doug's part it was another momentum killer and the two guys responsible for maintaining
0: and sparking our momentum the coach and the quarterback don't seem to have a real read on when to make the calls Uh, and it's it's just really unnerving so um I don't know if there's more we want to say about Doug because I got to get to the defense uh, on this podcast. All right. So Jim Schwartz got absolutely worked on almost every drive uh, in this past Sunday's game against the Rams. I felt like he got completely pantsed by Sean McVay. Um, the D line was mostly unproductive. Their, their most impressive stat was they com- combined as a whole defense, not just the D line, the whole defense had five and a half tackles for loss. Um, The D-line was extremely unproductive in terms of stats and disruption of of Jared Goff. Uh, BG has one sack. I mean, Brandon Graham had a good year last year, kind of surprisingly after being signed, but he's not the guy who's going to compile stats. Um, You know, we we need Fletcher Cox to have a big game. When's the last time you saw Fletcher Cox have a really big game? It's been a really long time. I've been kind of like thinking about this for a while, and I I don't think it's true in, in terms of injury. But to me, Fletcher Cox commands a lot more respect, but the contract that he got and the production that we haven't seen feels Ryan Howard-ish to me. I know that I'm bridging a gap there, but it feels that way in terms of like, yeah, you were given this money based on this potential and we kind of saw it, but we haven't really seen it. I can't remember the last time Fletcher Cox had a really big game where I thought he's making impact plays constantly I mean Maddie said on the last podcast that he projected Fletcher to have two and a half sacks in this game I don't even know when the last time that was I I, seriously I can't even tell you the last time Fletcher Cox had that kind of a day and I know his position is such that it doesn't always show up in the stat sheet but we haven't seen anything from him Javon Hargrave who made his start in this game his first start as an eagle or Malik Jackson we haven't seen any production from that middle part of the D-line which really was supposed to be our
3: strength Maddie. My uh, Chris, I'm my shoe today. Uh, two and a half was very ambitious. I thought so. Uh, may not have two and a half all season the way he's playing. I, I do agree with you. I have um, three uh, solo tackles and one assist is what I'm seeing here. Um, I, I will play devil's advocate because I did see a play. Um, it was Higby's last touchdown, if you guys recall, The play before that, uh, the running back Henderson, uh, had a huge run for 30-plus yards, and that set up the Higby touchdown. Uh, I went over the tape, and uh, Cox was not out there. And it was kind of a run up the middle. He found a hole, and he was able to scamper for 30-plus. I saw Hargraves, Graham, Malik Jackson, and Barnett. So, I don't know. Uh, Coulda, woulda, shoulda, maybe uh, not having him on the field. That play sets up the Higby touchdown, but Bryce, I couldn't agree more. Based on the money, we need more out of this guy. Yeah, and honestly,
0: you know, not just – to get a little bit more specific, I I really – and I know it's his first game back after injury, but I've really been disappointed in Derek Barnett as the 14th overall pick. I've expected to see so much more from him. I hear so much hype about him, but I don't see a whole lot of production from him. Um, this is my, this is my first of three Howie beefs that we may get to tonight, or maybe spread over the other podcast. but selected 14th overall, Derek Barnett has had 14 sacks over three years of play. Um, he's had 23 tackles for loss, 50 quarterback hits. He's had a slew of injuries so far as a young player. Um, this is a troubling presence on the defensive line, a player I expected to have a lot more of an impact um, and a player who could have stood to, to make a big impact in a game like Sunday and pretty much didn't show up. Uh, I think he recorded two tackles on Sunday is, is the stat line for Derek Barnett. So I've just been disappointed there. And I think, you know, that speaks to the, the edges, but as far as the interior, I, I need to see more from those guys, Fletcher Cox, Malik Jackson, Javon Hargrave. Okay. Next, how we beef and next kind of segue into the defense, the linebackers abominable this weekend, abominable, just horrible. Um, The Eagles don't have an identity in terms of linebacker. They don't have a player. They tell us it's Nate Gary or Nate Jerry or whatever his name is, but he's trailing uh, Higby by, you know, 10 yards on that one touchdown, looks out of place. This is a guy who's setting up our defense and making calls. I mean, there's just no presence. This is a team that had players like Jeremiah Trotter that had a Jordan Hicks, a player I really liked who was injured a lot, but clearly had the talent. They don't have that kind of talent in the position. They don't seem to want to play uh, their, what is it, fifth-round draft pick uh, who was a linebacker from Temple and their third-round draft pick uh, who's a linebacker from Colorado, Davian Taylor. Uh, Could they really be that much worse? Why not invest in a linebacker? Clearly the middle of the field is suffering. And should the Eagles play another team with a good tight end, like Baltimore in a couple weeks, we're going to be in trouble. So I just had to bring up that point. I think the last thing that I'll say about the defense is that it desperately misses Malcolm Jenkins. Desperately. It is so apparent that there's a lack of leadership, a lack of glue to hold everybody together. Um, and, and I just don't think Rodney McLeod is that is that player or that voice for the team. Matt, did you have a point?
3: all game they did the misdirection rolling out golf off the play action pass and we bit our uh defensive line all the way to our linebackers everyone bit and uh golf was able to get out in space and, and make a play uh so that that really threw me off that that was uh something that came up also uh only one sack you know, uh, our offensive line did great, but, you know, our defensive line only one sack. Uh, Andrew, do you have a point?
1: Yeah, let me just hit a couple real quick. So, uh, with Fletcher, it did appear that he got doubled a bunch of times, but nobody, nobody else won, right? That's that's how the interior works. That's how you break Fletcher out, right? You, you get your Malik's, you get your Derek Barnett's, you get those people driving so that they have to be uh, accounted for. So, um, but we need, we need Fletch to be back. We need the rest of the interior to be dominant. To Matt's point about the misdirection, um, that is something that infuriates me with Barnett. He bites on every single play action, every mis, uh, every counter run. You see him just, you know, in the backfield by himself. That happens year over year. Um, and then just back to Schwartz overall, this was the most confusing part to everything was multiple times – You know, he and the and the rest of the defense said that they didn't that the Rams didn't do anything that they weren't expecting. Meaning they seemingly knew what the Rams were gonna do, but there was just zero execution. Even McLeod said the Rams didn't do anything unexpected. And then Schwartz came out and said, I had a poor game plan. So I don't understand that. And now that could just be Schwartz taking it, taking a bullet for his squad for not executing. Um But for everybody to say that the Rams didn't do anything special and then for Schwartz to say I didn't have uh, – or I had a poor game plan,
3: I'm flummoxed. I'll go back to it. I'm flummoxed. Chris? I'm actually going to flip to Mike. I think he had a point.
2: Sorry, Mike. Yeah, no, I'll even go as far to say – I mean, I'll call Jim Schwartz up right now and ask him what his title is for the Eagles because it's pretty confusing at this point. Um supposed to be the defensive coordinator but that was some pretty sloppy play at the defense let me also uh touch upon Fletch Andrew I thought that was a great point I did I did mark down two two plays where I thought Fletch stood out um the first was on that second TD drive by the Rams it was the one where Woods had the end around which Barnett totally bit on and wasn't there so frustrating uh But there was a running play. Uh, The running back got into, like, the linebacker region. And Fletch just came out of nowhere like a beast and ripped the guy down. Um, And then later on in the second half, Fletch broke through the line and had a huge tackle for a loss, uh, which resulted in a punt. But you're right. Malik Jackson and Hargraves and Barnett, these guys need to contribute more. Um, You know, BG showed up with the sack. I think he'll probably be our most consistent uh, defensive linemen along with Fletch, but we need the other guys to show up in order to be successful. Um, I, like, I like those stats, and
0: I saw that play, the run play that you are talking about where Fletch kind of chases him down and pulls him back from the, the first down yard line. But he and he I actually
2: mean, went into the tent in a, like an injury protocol right it after It looked that. like he hurt
0: his back on that play, and I know that Fletcher Cox is a player who works hard, um, and I, I know that those plays were impactful, but he's paid to be a guy that makes impactful plays on the regular. I, I'm not going to be somebody with too, too high of an expectation to say that's, your, that's what you're supposed to do. But I, I have to say, I mean, Fletcher Cox is paid like an elite player. It's been a while since I've seen him make those were Mike elite plays, but I'd love to see how far apart in the game they were. Um, and in addition, you know, how long it's been since, since he's been able to make that kind of an impact in the game. Yeah. It's One really the it's, first
2: quarter and the other was uh, in the third quarter. So,
0: so, I mean, you know, to to see him as a player be double teamed and kind of stymied in that way and to know that the rest of the line isn't getting home is discouraging also in its own right. Um, let's let's try to move on from, from the defense if we can and and say that we want more production. We were told a lot about this defensive line and what they would be able to do. We on this podcast said we're,
2: we're wanting them to eat. But so let have me also just acknowledge, I think we're all thinking it. Cooper Cup just torched us. <laughs> oh, yeah. That guy seemed like he was all over the field. Um, um, I got a
0: I got a hot take real quick. I, I really think it might be worth now. Nickel Roby Coleman hasn't had that much time to play, but I really think that one touchdown that they threw to Higby, Nickel Roby Coleman was the only guy and he's a spidery kind of smaller uh, DB. I think if Craven's there, he makes that play. And honestly, so we're going to play some tough slot receivers in the next few weeks. I wouldn't be surprised to see them try Craven out in the slot. Um, just to give a different look on defense. I like Craven's game, um, and I've seen him do it. I don't really know Nikel Roby Coleman. I know he's been around the league a while, but that seemed to be a play where he could make a play. And, and I kind of expected, as I mentioned on the podcast, his familiarity with Cooper Cup, uh, a receiver that he should have been familiar with from his former team. It seemed like Cooper Cup just had his way with the Eagles in general, uh, Nickel Roby Coleman included. So here's my last Howie beef, and then I'm going to leave you guys with a question. My last Howie beef is regarding J.J. Arthega whiteside Let's talk about this for a second because although that play was not necessarily his fault, he did have another drop earlier in the game, and this is a second-round pick from 2019. Let's break this down from a Howie perspective, okay? So J.J., in his NFL career, has 10 catches for 169 yards and one touchdown. His college statistics from Stanford... Now, just follow me here because I am going somewhere with this. He had twenty-two hundred plus yards and twenty-eight touchdowns, mostly winning by uh, jump ball contested catches, and that's what he was really drafted on. DK Metcalf, a second-year receiver for the Seattle Seahawks, went to Ole Miss as an NFL player, as an NFL receiver, he has 66 66 catches for 1,087 yards and nine touchdowns. His college statistics, he had 1,200 yards and 14 touchdowns. My thing with Howie here is, clearly, he looked at the numbers and said, we'll go with the numbers guy. And clearly, as fans, and as, as fans of football first, but also fans of the Eagles, we're seeing that this hasn't translated for JJ. And it makes me mad at Howie because I see DK Metcalf making plays and he was available when we took JJ. So I don't know if anyone has a comment here. This has bothered me for a while. I think there will forever be a, kind of a, a thing with Eagles fans about this, this pick or sort of lack of pick. Um, but it is really upsetting to see JJ had this sort of lack of impact uh, overall, let alone when, when balanced against DK Metcalf. Go ahead, Matt.
3: Uh, Chris, can you say Nelson Aguilar 2.0? I mean, uh, once again, how he misses out on a, uh, a wide receiver draft pick. Um, it, it's it's ridiculous. I agree with you. Uh, he should have had that catch. Um, I may give him the interception, but there's there's been no production from this guy. Uh, he went too high. I wanted uh, DK Metcalf in the draft, uh, but... Even if uh, I'm going down the line here, there was tons of other wide receivers that have at least contributed to their team. This guy has not. Mike or Andrew?
1: Yeah. I think comparing him to Nelson Aguilar, um, was a compliment. I would compare him to Mac Collins as just equally irrelevant and yet another miss from Hallie. Um, Again, this is what it's going to be. I mean, that was a pretty stacked um, wide receiver class. You missed out on McLaurin. Uh, I think Debo Samuel, uh, AJ Brown was in the mix there. Of course, uh, McCole Hardman,
3: Deontay uh, Johnson, Darius Slayton, who has uh, had some production for the Giants. Yeah, but all these guys—all these guys that I listed,
1: Preston Williams went undrafted. He's contributing. So like. Why can't we find these guys? Why is finding a wide receiver that can contribute such an issue? Um, I don't have the answer, but it will be a a haunting uh theme that I feel will will continue to to plague Howie and, and the Eagles. Mike, your thoughts here?
2: Well, let me haunt your dreams a little more there, uh Andrew. <laughs> I saw the uh I saw a article I, I was looking for it right now. I can't remember who wrote it. But Apparently, the Eagles are big on J.J.'s development in the offseason. And actually, the first game against the Redskins, that first touchdown throw to Ertz, that play was um, called intended for J.J. Uh, It wasn't there with J.J., so they went to Ertz. But in the article, I was reading that the team, you know, is supporting J.J. He's going to get his eventually, uh, was the point of the article. Um, So that just shows you kind of the faith that the Eagles have in him. The question I think becomes, how long do they keep with that before they rip the court out if he never produces? Chris? That's a great point. And I think, you know, you have to know when to say when. And the Eagles have had to do
0: that in other ways recently. Uh, and, and maybe that is something they, they choose to do with JJ. Maybe he does all of a sudden, all of a sudden show up. But I just think it's staggering to look at the numbers and kind of trace the recruiting or the scouting logic of looking at the numbers from college, seeing what D.K. Metcalf did do and didn't do, seeing what J.J. Ortega-Whiteside in a lesser conference did, and just going with the higher numbers. And when you watch D.K. Metcalf, you say, that's a dominant player that defenses respect. And when you watch J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, I'm not sure what you're watching. We haven't really seen anything that tells me who he is yet. And to that end, you know, the receiving core in general has had sort of a lack of identity. And this is going to be a bigger theme, but – what is going on with Deshaun Jackson? What is, what is happening with this player who was brought back in to sort of have a homecoming to Philadelphia, had one explosive game in 2019 um, as a, you know, a one-off and then disappeared for the rest of the year with an injury. I mean, to me this year, it's been so spotty. I know the team talks about, you know, watching his snap count and things like that, but it, it seems very bizarre the way that they're using him. His relationship with the team, his presence when he shows up—it's—it's it's just kind of strange. It doesn't seem uh, quite right to me. It seems like they either aren't sure quite what to do with him, or you know, things are going wrong, and they say, "Well, let's get Deshaun going," and then they do, but then they go away from him. It's just really kind of hard to figure uh, from watching from far away because when Deshaun was here the first time, he had one job, um, and that you know has—we were told morphed into him having other potential but we just really haven't seen it. Uh does anybody have any thoughts on on Deshaun and I mean I find myself going where is he a lot of the time when when we're watching. Mike what do you got?
2: Yeah, um I think the Eagles are a little scared right now about utilizing Deshaun because of what happened last year. They're worried about the injury um another one taking him out and the impact that would have the rest of the season. But I'm also going to bring this up too. Like even when Deshaun was in his heyday um, with the birds, he was spotty. He was always a spotty player. Um, you know, he, he, some games he would be silent. Other games he would show up. The interesting thing I saw from the TV broadcast was Deshaun standing behind Doug Peterson. Looked like he was chirping, like saying like, Doug, let me go. You know, call the play to put me in. And Doug basically was ignoring him. And you can see the tide is going with working rigor. Um, to, to be that, that go-to uh, player on the field, maybe there is a storyline developing here that's, that's more, or maybe, maybe it's just, you know, typical spotty play that we've seen from Deshaun. Any, anybody on that, Matt?
3: Yeah, I, I just want to jump back here to the, the play calling, and maybe I should have brought this up uh, when we were talking Peterson. It seemed like every single throw was over the middle. Uh, We did not have Rager or Deshaun running the streak uh, up the sideline. Uh, At least I I can't recall that. Uh, pause. hold on one second. Matt, hold on
0: one second. I meant to bring this point up earlier. There was a great play that the Eagles never went back to where Jalen Rager was on the right side toward the close, I guess, uh, toward the TV side of the the field and went into motion, uh, into the backfield, into a jet motion. And the Eagles faked the handoff to Miles Sanders and then threw it to Rager, kind of running, faking the jet motion and just running down the left sideline. I thought that was a dynamite play that happened and was great and I think was like 14 or 15 yards and then never happened again. So I totally agree with you. It seemed like everything was funneled to the middle of the field, but that was one of those plays where I thought that was a really nice, not only a play design, but it was the right player for that play, and they never seemed to go back to it. It seemed like they were, yeah, funneling everything in the middle of the field.
3: Great point, Chris. Yeah, it, everything was over the middle, uh, nothing down the sidelines besides the, the one play that you said had success. So I, I don't know what changed in Peterson's game plan, but that's just Jackson's M.O., and that should be Rikers' M.O. going forward as well. They're two speedsters. Um, send them loose, and yet everything seemed to come over the middle. Andrew?
1: Yeah, um, obviously, I think we want him more involved. Um, I think the route running needs to be a little bit better or give him the opportunity to to catch those passes in the flat, inside slants, um, rather than just trying to get him to break away and, and be a deep threat. Um, I think that that might fall back on Doug then.
0: What do you think about D-Jack, Andrew?
1: d Yeah, that's what I mean. I want to see him more I, – I want to see him more involved in the offense like we all do, but um, let's give him some different routes. I think there were a couple where he, you know, did a, kind of that Connor
0: uh, – um, like an over route.
1: Yeah, where you kind of just broke off for, right from the line. Um, maybe he doesn't have that I'm just going to go vertical the whole day um, type of breakaway speed anymore, and that's clearly not the style of offense that's working right now. So let's get him involved with some short passes.
0: Well, and I think this brings up a bigger question of, you know, Deshaun is supposed to be the veteran wide receiver, maybe the wide receiver one, depending on the the play call. But, I mean, there's a a sort of lack of identity, not just in the wide receiver room, but that sort of spans across this team. What is this team's identity? I know what the 2017 Eagles identity was. Uh, I know what the 2018 Eagles identity was. I figured out by the end of the year what the 2019 uh, Eagles were. But I just – I, I can't figure out who they are this year. And I don't know if you guys are dealing with that same frustration, um, but it seems to me that they also don't know. And that might be the most troubling factor from both uh, the first game against Washington and this most recent loss uh, to the Rams as the Eagles go 0-2. Now, Matt brought up something early in the day in a text thread that we have amongst us that in 2007, the Eagles started 0-2 and went on to a 12-4 season. Um that seems like such a far cry right now from the play that we've seen. The only thing that I can hope if that winds up being true is that the Eagles have needed a lot of time to implement some of the new players, some of the new coaches, and really get the kinks worked out. But my biggest concern, and I think we can all kind of carry this after this game, is Wentz and what he will do moving forward. Can he write the ship? Can he write himself? Can he get accurate? Can he start making some of these throws? Uh, can he get some sort of a rhythm going? Uh, with the offense to where we say they have an identity because I do think in this game they they showed glimpses of it they just couldn't find their way there Uh, so with that I think we'll call it for tonight Uh, the podcast will be back on Thursday hopefully to preview the game against the Bengals Uh, Joe Burrow and the Bengals will be coming and looking for their first win also an 0-2 team and I thought about this today, the way that we look at the Bengals, I wonder if they look at the Eagles like that, uh, despite the fact that they'll be coming into Philadelphia, um, Joe Burrow being the number one pick in the 2020 draft. So it should be a, an interesting preview pod. Um, things are bleak right now. We got to hope they get better. When we started the pod, it was to celebrate wins, but it's also to event about just horrible losses like this past Sunday. So let's hope for a lot less of that and some more W's moving forward. So uh, it's hard to say it, but go birds.
2: Go birds! Go birds! And Elliot with the lucky doink, typical. Go lucky birds. doink! Go birds! <laughs>